0: If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact
1: form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. A proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week. We want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. Well, what's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab.
0: Today, we're talking theme, we're talking research, we're talking about what it looks like to really figure out what your theme is is, and not just making it all up, but actually taking the time, putting in the effort, and figuring out the different ways you can just add some really cool details, some really cool things that are maybe based in reality, or maybe not. We're going to talk about that, maybe based on you know some modern things, even though you're looking at a an age-old theme or something like that. And we're talking to Dave Beck from Paverson Games. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Gabe, so much. So excited to be here. Yeah, man, really glad to have you here. This is a, a topic that came up Uh, A while back, I guess kind of recently when I was talking to Martin Wallace and he, you know, in kind of a bigger episode, we talked about research and his process and he reads a ton of books and he'll go to the library and just check out all these different books on a certain topic, certain subject, and just immerse himself into that idea. And then he gets all these really cool details that that he puts into his games that just makes them really more thematic. And I thought, man, that's a really cool concept. We need to do an episode in, in its entirety about just that concept. I think you can do an entire show. And so here we are. And i uh, really glad that you're here. You've got this really interesting spirits or, or alcohol themed game called Distilled mm-hmm. that you've been working on. I know you've put a lot of time and effort and research into that one. So I want to hear about it. And, and you've done a lot of other projects in the past as well. But before we get into theme and research and all that, uh, who are you? How'd you get into game design and all that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do remember real
2: quick uh, listening to that episode about Martin Wallace and and really being inspired uh, by what he said. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't know if I can follow up in those kind of shoes, but I'll I'll try as best as I can. Uh, So, yeah, my name's Dave. Uh, I am a a game design professor, actually, up in uh, Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin Stout. I've been there for about 10 years. I was actually hired to start their um, game design Bachelor of Fine Arts program. Uh, And it's grown into this massive organization now, which is awesome. Uh, I still work there more in administration than in kind of in the classroom as much these days. But uh, all in all, I've always been a game designer um, uh, ever since I started there. But before that, I actually was more of a fine artist. So my background is actually sculpture that then transformed more into 3D modeling because of my passion for technology uh, and then into animation and finally into uh, video games and now uh, into board games. So it's been a really interesting journey for me. And much like all many people you know, listening, just like I, I've i been, uh, it's one of those things where it's merging my passions together uh, into into something that I could, I'm finding is turning into a career, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And now, as far as being a game design professor, tell me what that's like. What does that look like? I, I know you have to come up with curriculum and, and all that, but tell me like the overall idea, the concepts that you're teaching in class. Is it kind of a basic course, or do you really get into like the, the deep hobby game type stuff as well? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. Um, of course, it's a little different now because the the profession and the curriculum has matured. But uh, man, 10 years ago, when I started... Uh, I, most of the students in my classroom, they, they couldn't program a line of code. They couldn't draw a character to save their life, but boy, could they play video games. And so it was, it was this, um, uh, culture of people that loved video games and they thought that this is what they wanted to do, but very quickly they realized this is a lot harder than, than I think. Um, it's heavily focused on collaboration, um, uh, between kind of both sides of the brain. So what we have in our program, mainly video games, we do have some tabletop games, but uh, we start out at the beginning, mostly focusing on tabletop games with understanding mechanics and prototyping, uh, but also collaboration and iteration. And that then transforms over the course of the next four years with the student to culminate in a capstone project where they're working on usually a team of 12 people, programmers, artists, designers, uh, graphic designers, play testers. Um, and the team of 12 people forms a studio, works over the course of an entire year on a game, and then releases it to the world. Uh, So it's a really neat uh, way to watch the journey of these students, starting out thinking like, well, I like playing video games. I don't know if this is for me, but maybe all the way to releasing a game that is downloaded on Steam and Itch um, uh, for the world to play. So it's a pretty cool experience for sure.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, It's it's really cool to hear, and I'm glad that more and more of that exists in just kind of the normal mainstream, you know, when mm-hmm. I was coming through there, there weren't those options to, to yeah. go and, and get that kind of education. Uh, you had to either go to a real specialty school or you had to go do some kind of ex- external thing. You couldn't do it at your college or whatever. And so it's awesome that uh, more and more schools are, are doing this kind of thing. But anyway, let's, uh, let's get into the topic. Let's talk about theme. Let's talk about research. First of all, why is this important. Why are we using an entire episode of this podcast to discuss it? Why is this something that game designers need to just think about and be aware of? I think it's a great question. I I think
2: that our our discipline of uh and our, our culture and industry of of board games, talking board games specifically here, um, has has again, I said I'm using the word matured again, but it's it's evolved to a point now where people aren't always necessarily just happy with a puzzle to solve or a challenge to overcome. Um, uh, They want to be uh, engrossed in it, um, uh, immersed in an environment or a narrative uh, to envision themselves in that space. Or even I would go so far as to say sometimes theme really can connect to the visuals that you see too. So um, uh, that also is important for the player to be able to see kind of a rich tableau uh, before them on the table. Um, and those things are con- very largely, in my opinion, connected to theme. So it brings people in. It also, I think, broadens that net um, uh, when it's more just about gameplay and mechanics and and perhaps theme is slapped on or maybe it's not barely even there. Um, I think that you're you're focusing on a much smaller grouping of people as opposed to when you really focus, try and focus on theme and mechanics. You're drawing, as we know, very different types of gamers to the table that hopefully will find their element of interest within that game space, uh, which is going to be different than the person sitting next to them, uh, perhaps, which I think is, is an all the better uh, reason to have the two combined.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of. That a lot of people that play games, they they want to feel like they're part of something. They're immersed in this adventure, mm-hmm. this uh, unfolding story. Even if it's even if it's not a story centric game, if if it's just a normal worker placement or something like that. If you have a theme that's on there and you know farming or something like that, this story can kind of unfold and you see the farms rise and fall and you harvest the crops and you've got your little characters and you're moving them around, they're doing different actions, they're farm related, and it just kind of makes sense. And I think that's one of the best definitions I've ever heard or used. theme it's like it makes the game mechanisms make sense it makes them more intuitive and it's like oh it makes sense that we would do this in this round because this is when you plant or do it in that round because this is when you harvest and that makes sense why these mechanisms happen the way that they do in these different rounds you know stuff like that just kind of makes the game make sense and it you know provides a way for for players to just get into the experience of a game as opposed to you know there's checkers where you're just you're moving your little tokens on the board. You're trying to overtake your opponent and things like that. And you don't really feel like you're leading armies or, or something like that. <laughs> but and so there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like if you can get the player to really feel immersed, like they are leading armies, and it's not just little black, you know, tokens are moving on a board. It's actually cavalry and, and horses or tanks or something like that. It just brings more of an experience out, and that's what draws a lot of people to games in the first place. And so mm-hmm. let's uh, let's talk about the research side. What are what are some things that you found work really well? What are some of your favorite sources? You know, like I said, Martin Wallace, he loves just books like these big, thick tomes of of research information about cars or, or whatever. So tell me your, some of your favorite sources and let's get into like the actual research and how to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think that for me, maybe also probably because I am an academic um, uh, with being a professor, uh, that kind of just comes as a second nature to me that I, I feel that that's an important part of when I'm creating a project like a game. Um, so with, with something like distilled, for instance, I really look at it, at it as multiple angles of research. One of course is, um, uh, basically hands-on or, or, um, living that research, uh, distilled, of course, as you had mentioned, is about distilling spirits, Um, essentially focusing on things like recipes, uh, recipe fulfillment, resource management. Um, but what you're essentially doing is you're trying to run a distillery. So I actually came up with this idea when I was on sabbatical, uh, which essentially means that, um, as a professor, I had an opportunity to spend some time conducting research on a different project actually, but this is, this came to me and it was after I had actually toured a number of distilleries in Scotland. I was in Scotland on sabbatical, um, And I had uh, talked with lots of distillers, obviously tour guides as well, experienced that process in front of me. And that's honestly how it happened. It was a light bulb moment that I realized, oh my gosh, there's there's like opportunities for game mechanics within this space that I don't think have been represented before. And if I can figure out a way to weave a a theme and narrative around that, For the player, it's doing exactly what I want in games, which is that idea of the two kind of intertwined theme and mechanics. So that would be one kind of on the job or or on site, hands on research, immersing yourself in that space, uh, talking to those types of people, interviewing those types of people. Um, I actually have brought in um, a spirits consultant for this as well. So sometimes it's it's not even a matter of saying, well, I need to learn everything about it, but also who can I surround myself with who are experts in this theme? Um, so I'm working with uh, someone named Blake Tucker, who is essentially a, a, that's what he is. He, he is a specialist in mixology and the history of spirits. Um, and then that leads me to my other other part that is somewhat like what Martin mentioned, which is uh, reading lots and lots of books. So reading quite a lot of books, books on the history of distillation, um, uh, as well as um, uh, different types of spirits and, and what goes into them. What I've discovered over the course of this, and again, kind of stepping into this, knowing right away, oh yeah, I want to make a game about distilling alcohol. I actually originally said, I want to make a game about distilling whiskey because of where I was. But that was a good example of my ignorance. Um, I didn't know at the time that um, whiskey wasn't the most popular spirit in the world. I always kind of assumed that was something I've heard many times. So I looked this up again, doing some research in this case online uh, and I find that, no, there's these these spirits from all around the world, from um, Asia, from South America, from Africa and the Middle East, from Europe, the Americas. And so that got me so excited to realize this can be more than just, this is a fun game about making whiskey, to I might be able to actually educate people to a certain degree while they're having fun about these different types of spirits and cultures and people and history and technology all around the world that they likely did not know about before. So again, kind of wrapping that up, hands-on research, you know, on-site research, uh, but also looking to experts when you need to, I think is important also and consulting with them. And then of course, doing your your typical kind of traditional research, reading and whether that's online or books and and trying to figure out how you can combine all those things into uh, a process that's going to again like you said too make that game richer make that game easier for people to to learn and pick up and understand why they're doing what they're doing
0: yeah for sure and another thing is especially with alcohol and i'm sure other things as well a lot of things that we take for granted as far as like names are actually copyrighted. And Mm -hmm. so if you were to accidentally, just out of ignorance, use something that you thought is just like, oh, this is just what we call it. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that no, it's actually a a much more basic word. And what you're using is a brand or Mm -hmm. is is named after something and someone has copyrighted that, you could get into some uh, some legal issues as well. So research there goes a long way. But I want to break down a couple other things that you talked about Mm -hmm. just then. Uh, The first one is the whole concept of, it's in writing where people say, write what you know. You know, mm-hmm. so if you have a legal background, kind of like John Grisham did with mm-hmm. all his, his legal books, like he could write as a lawyer. He had been in courtrooms. He had he had seen and heard and, and tasted and smelled like he just had a really good understanding mm-hmm. of that side of life. And so, of course, he could write those books really, really well. And it was believable. And he had really good details because he had lived it. Now, you don't have to go be a lawyer to write legal books or dramas or something like that, but you, it helps for sure, right? Yeah. I, I've designed several football games because I spent a decade of my life playing football. <laughs> I know how it works, I understand the mechanisms, so to speak. And so I think that's a good place to start is something that you love, that you already know mm-hmm. about, you have an understanding of, and it kind of gives you a head start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you don't have that, if you don't have that prior knowledge, then you definitely want to do as much research as possible and I love what you did in hiring people to come in and like help you figure it out right hiring consultants mm-hmm. and that's another thing that's gained a lot of traction here in the last couple of years is people uh, going out and hiring other folks that are experts in that field whether it's with pirates I interviewed a guy a while back quite a while back on the show and he um, had brought on a professor who uh, was just really good on pirate history and pirate terminology and all that stuff and he kind of helped him with the details of the game and the vocabulary and different things being used Mm -hmm. but then there's also cultural consultants. Now that will help you if you're designing a game, maybe it's a worker placement set in central America. Well, you, if you're not from there and you haven't lived there, if you don't have any like really deep understanding of what's going on, it's probably a good idea to hire someone who does that can make sure you don't do something that's uh, offensive or just just flat out wrong or or something that's going to, to to cause a a stir (laughs) online as as (laughs) things do nowadays. And so, yeah, it's money well spent, I believe. And so, as far as consultants go, tell me, tell me your experience. Like, what did you, like, how did you find the person that helped you with this? Tell me a little bit deeper as far yeah. as that goes. Like, if someone wanted to do this, how would they do it?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I, I actually have two two stories or two people to talk about here. So, the first is I'll go back to Blake. Uh, he he goes by actually Doctor Inkwell, and so if you put that all together, it says Drinkwell. But um, <laughs> um, he's out in California. And he uh, is uh, someone, like I said, does mixology, does classes on the history of, you know, gin, for instance, which is a really interesting, each each of these spirits has fascinating histories in certain cultures, medicinal histories, um, uh, you know, uh, obviously lots of history about colonization sometimes as well. Um, so anyway, what happened was I was demoing this game. Uh, I can't remember what online con it was last year, um, but I, I, I think it was maybe... I'm not sure it was a it was a USA based one and Blake happened to play my game and told me about who he was and we continued to chat a little bit. And I I thought, you know what? I need to, to bring him on board um, uh, to really kind of help me with some of the, the factoids because every single card in the game has small facts on the bottom as well. Uh, again, that's the the professor in me um, that wants to make sure people are learning a little bit about it as also. So that's how I brought Blake on. And uh, it's been fantastic because not only has he been able to help with some of those factoids, but also other things like we. Ha- there's a part of the game where If you age a spirit in your warehouse, you add flavor cards to it. And they're all different sketches done by my artist, Eric Evanson. uh, And they're supposed to look like a tasting journal, almost like you're sitting down and talking about the flavor of the whiskey that you're having. Uh, These are random. You don't know what you're adding. So it's kind of blind. Some are better than others. None of them are bad, but some are better than others. And so Blake also had a lot of fun. He's got a great sense of humor. He also had a lot of fun writing the fun flavor notes on there, um, uh, which is funny. So that was one that was kind of by coincidence. Uh, And it's a happy outcome. And I'm really excited to have Blake part of the team. The other one I want to talk about uh, a little bit more specifically to a consultant, uh, like you talked about, is that in distilled uh, you start out by inheriting this distillery from some long lost relative uh, from someone around the world uh, from people around the world, different cultures and spirits that they make. Um, And so again, working with Eric uh, Evanson, my artist, he has painted these gorgeous paintings of these people that are essentially supposed to be in a gilded frame that you hang on a, a wall in your distillery office, that you've inherited this from this person. And on the back of the card is this backstory on this person, how they founded the distillery. Um, uh, we've tried as best as possible within a world of fiction uh, to be try, try and be as historically accurate and respective of different cultures and people as possible. Well as we've done this we did feel we've we've done uh, a good job on this but we realized you know we don't know what we don't know uh, we want to be as inclusive as we possibly can but the next best step if we are trying to represent different time periods, different people, different genders, different everything, we want to make sure that we're we're being as respectful and accurate as possible so I decided to reach out after posting actually it was on um, uh, the board game design lab. Facebook group about this, uh, someone suggested that I reach out to James Mendez Hodes, who is a cultural consultant. Um, uh, and uh, I we are so fortunate that uh, he agreed to join in on the project. And so he's now uh, we've had some meetings with him, discussions about the stories, as well as the depic- the visual depictions of these characters. Um, uh, and we feel so much better because he's really pointed some stuff out that wasn't egregious, but would be kind of that much more respectful to that area. So uh, being historically authentic um, as best as we can, but also being respectful. So those are two consultants that I brought onto the team that I can definitely say, hands down, that Distilled is going to be a better game because of that.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. And speaking of representation, you know, this gets a lot of of buzz online. There seems to be a conversation that will blow up in various Facebook groups pretty regularly Mm -hmm. uh, of people going back and forth on this. And and it's it's gotten so political that it's hard to navigate sometimes. And people it's, it's become a political football in a lot of ways, which is really frustrating, because at the end of the day, it's about how many people can I get to play my game as possible? Because I think it's really fun and I think it'll give them a really enjoyable hour or two hours or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, as a game designer, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think I've created something special that other people will find really fun. And how can I get as many people to enjoy it? Because if it's really fun, then I should want other people to play it. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, how can I make sure other people uh, see themselves in the game, so to speak, whether it's mm-hmm. having lots of different you know, diverse characters or representing an area in a way that's that's accurate, but also uh, understands that you know, not even even if uh, white people didn't exist in this part of the world. Well, maybe I want to add a couple of white people in as the cards, because then, you know, it kind of makes it more inclusive and lets, mm-hmm. lets people know that, hey, this is this is for you, too. It's not just for this group of people or something like that. Right. Because mm-hmm. so, at the end of the day, my, my whole thought is honestly, it's, it's economic more than it's political. It's I want as many people to enjoy this game as possible, but also means as many people to buy this game mm-hmm. as possible. And so the color I'm really concerned about is not black, white or brown. It's green. And it makes the most economic business sense. So even if we get away from like morality and politics and all that, if we just talk dollars and cents, it makes the most sense to be as inclusive as possible and have as many people look at your game and go, oh, I can see myself in that game. I can see myself as this character or as this nation or whatever it is. And I can I can feel like I'm part of this as opposed to, well, kind of on the outside looking in. And so one thing I love to do is I'll design characters. I'll have artists design characters and illustrations and things and then I'll lay them all out in front of my daughters and I'll say, Hey, who would you be? And they'll go, Ooh, I want that one. Ooh, I want that one. You know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's always people that look kind of similar to them. Hmm. And my, my daughters are Hispanic, you know? And so when they see uh, the, the brown character that looks similar to them, they're like, Ooh, that's, that's me. And so I want to make sure that as many little girls and little boys and, and young guys and young girls who are all around the world, right. Mm-hmm. Can look at the game and go, Ooh, I want that one. Mm-hmm. And there'd be enough characters to go around for people to go, okay, this is who I feel uh, good about i'm designing a game called robomon which mm-hmm. is it's kind of like pokemon and so i want to make sure <laughs> that there, there's as many opportunities for people to feel like they're they can be in the game And so the game right now has 30 playable characters and that's a lot and it was more expensive right it's more expensive mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. draw or to pay somebody to draw 30 characters than it is four but i think the bigger picture is, is much more valuable and so i'm not too worried about you know paying a little bit extra for the art and so i think yeah. it's it really comes down to that just understanding the business, the economics, but then also wanting as many people to be able to play your game uh, as possible. And so anyway, we, we can kind of, you know, I don't want to, like we can spend all day talking yeah. about this and that's not exactly the, the core of this conversation, but let, let's get kind of back into uh, the research and, and whatnot. Let's talk a little bit more about the theme and the mechanics and how research really plays into that and how you can really mesh theme and mechanisms together and understanding it through research. Tell me more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, I start with theme when I'm designing games or, and that goes for video games and board games. Uh, I, I came up with, I created a game. Oh my, now it's been a couple years since it was released. Uh, it's on steam. It's on itch. It's called Tombow. Um, so T O M B E A U X Tombow. And essentially Tombow is a game, um, uh, that was created based on a vision I had for, uh, telling a certain story. So again, around a certain theme. And so what I did was I set out to make that starting first with this story and then um, layering on mechanics that are pretty light to be perfectly honest because it's more of almost what one would call a walking simulator or an interactive film. But essentially what I was trying to do there was uh, have theme first and foremost to give the the player that experience. Um, And I did the same thing with Distilled. Uh, I had an idea for a mechanic that would pair with the theme and then from there, I let that theme as best as I po- possibly could drive the mechanics of the game. So for instance, what I had with this light bulb moment uh, to go into this very quickly is that when you distill alcohol, um, not this is not talking about beer, this is not talking about wine, it's not talking about um, uh, spirits, so kind of things like whiskey or, or gin or vodka. When you distill alcohol, you cook it at a very high temperature. And what happens is that it vaporizes and the alcohol vaporizes first. Uh, Before the uh, water does um, in this batch. And so as it rises up in this essentially a pipe in the still, um, it comes off the other side in a liquid form as it cools down. Well, what happens is the first part of that liquid that comes off of that that uh, heating run that brew um, is actually toxic. It will blind you. It will kill you. It is not good., uh, that's kind of comes with the stories of, you know, when someone says, oh, "I, drank the moonshine, and I went blind. Well, that's why because it was poorly done, poorly distilled. So the first part that comes off the run is toxic. The, and that's called the head. Uh, the the heart is the center of the run of that, and that is this the good stuff that they're gonna want to put into their into their bottle and sell to you. And then the end is the tails. So the head and the tail is actually cut automatically from the spirit. Um, but what they do is because it's toxic, they don't put it in the bottle, but they do reuse it. So distillers always reuse that in a future batch. And it kind of cycles that through again. And I thought, wait a minute here, there's something interesting about the idea of recipe fulfillment. You're trying to make something like whiskey. You've got some, some ingredients in there. What if I force the player to take the the head and the tail and pull it out? It's not part of their batch anymore. They can use it later. Uh, And what that does. And so what I did was I came up with a card based game where you're putting lots of ingredients, alcohol, yeast, water, um, uh, sugars all into this batch, you shuffle it up, and you take the top card and the bottom card. So there's a good example of people ask, well, couldn't you just take the top two cards, Dave? Yes, you could. But the idea here is thematically, I want you to feel what it's like. And just like you said before, Gabe, what that does is it teaches people the game even uh, um, more because they understand a real world scenario once they learn about that too. So it's this push your luck, mitigate your luck mechanic, that then you have to see if you fulfilled the recipe or if you've cut it too close and you didn't get enough of the right ingredients through. And you've gone from basically making a, a fine whiskey to some sort of moonshine or vodka, uh, which is kind of the result of almost a bust in the game. So that's one example. I've got many more of how I developed distilled to center around um, uh, thematic elements of distillation and play into a mechanic that that from what I've been able to tell so far is a unique mechanic that I have not seen before. And, and I, I, um, I really think that the reason for that is because I was driven so hard by the idea of representing theme in that gameplay.
0: Yeah, that's that's excellent. And I feel like I am learning a tremendous amount about alcohol <laughs> that I uh, did not know. And that yeah. was, you know, was a little side effect of this, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this discussion. This is so cool. All right. And so let's talk about because because all right, you just went into some pretty good detail mm-hmm. right there and then how to turn it into a game mechanism. I feel mm-hmm. like it would be really easy to get so caught up in the weeds and, yeah. and miss the forest for the tree, so to speak, yep. and just get, you know, because you find out, oh, a recipe it has 15 steps. All right, well, we're just going to have a board game. that has got 15 steps to come up with this final product. It's like, well, that's probably not very fun. So maybe you want to break that down into three steps or four or something like that. So tell me about walking that fine line between game and simulation. Uh, And, you know, if you want to make a simulation, that's fine. Flight Simulator does really well, sells a lot of copies (laughs) every year. But, you know, that's maybe not what you're going for. So tell me about like finding that sweet spot between what's really fun, but also what is true.
2: Fantastic question. So distilled when it began was that simulation. Uh, without a doubt, uh, it had that kind of fun little mechanic to it. Um, but then beyond that, once I realized I wanted to have all these different spirits from around the world represented baijiu from China, soju from Korea, cachaça from, uh, from Brazil. Once I knew I wanted to have these ones that people didn't know about that had different ingredients in them, I realized oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to have a special recipe for each one. So uh, in order to make baijo, you have to have sorghum in it because that's how baijo is made. In order to make cachaça, you have to have sugarcane in it. So you have to buy those things from the market. This is going to be great. And so what I had was I had a giant spreadsheet that was on the player board in front of you that you would say, okay, let's see here. How? How? What do I need to make this one ingredient or this one spirit? And it was funny because there are players, as we know, out there that love that stuff. Right. And so I got great feedback for some people, but the large majority, even though they couldn't put their finger on it, basically said there's too much here. I can't, like I'm overwhelmed by this massive, massive spreadsheet you have before me. So at that point, that's when I realized that I need to look at distilled and game design in general uh, as a spectrum. Uh, and on one side, if you could see me right now, I'm holding uh, hands up. But on one side, you've got fun and uh, uh, kind of gameplay. And on the other side, you've got authenticity or, or like you said, simulation. And but when sold started, it was very much leaning towards authenticity and simulation. It was teaching people exactly how they, uh, what they should put into something if they want to make gin. But it wasn't necessarily fun or easy to be able to, to pull that off. And so what I have had to do over the last year, year and a half of kind of developing this in the other direction is try and get that needle to be somewhere. I would argue it's probably right right now, uh, just a little bit closer to fun than on uh, in the middle than simulation, um, where people are having a lot of fun with the game. Uh, there's funny parts to it. Things like jokes in the flavors, the characters have uh, some of the characters you hire have kind of a funny uh, personality to them when you see them. Um, but then I've also still tried to instill this idea of, um, how these things are made when they go, when they get, um, thrown into the washback, which is kind of where they start to ferment when they are distilled, when they go to a warehouse to age, what's that like? Um, I even at one point, just to kind of go off tangent here really quick, uh, a good example of what I had to cut was I used to have something uh, in the game. Once you've aged your spirits called the angel share. So um, this is something that's a very common knowledge for uh, the distilling industry that makes things like whiskey or rum that needs to be aged. When you distill it, you immediately put it into a barrel, a wood barrel, and then you send it to a warehouse and it sits there for usually between two and 10 or even more years for every year that, or every second really, but every year that a spirit sits in a barrel in a warehouse, um, uh, believe it or not, what happens is the, um, the spirit actually evaporates through the barrel and up into the up into the atmosphere. They call that the angel share, because, of course, that's the Scots do, especially because essentially the angels are taking their share of the spirit um, uh, that they should deserve. What that means is if you age a spirit for, let's say, 10 or 15 years, that barrel's gone from a full barrel to maybe a half barrel or a two thirds full barrel. Um, The spirits got more expensive, but it's obviously gotten more flavor. I wanted to represent that in the game. So I actually had people, um, they were adding flavors every round, they aged their spirit. But then I had them fan out, right before they went to sell it and make all the money and get all the points for it, I had them fan out the cards. And the person to their left was the angel, and they had to randomly draw a card for every year it aged. Well, as you can imagine, what that meant was that although it was a cause for some fun times around the table, sometimes people had been aging maybe a whiskey or a tequila for, for five rounds And then someone pulls out the agave from their tequila and they've gone from making this amazing agave to now they've made moonshine or whatever it might be. So that's a good example of me trying to be a little bit closer to authenticity, but realizing that's no fun. That's not going to work. And it's an added step. So you really have to kind of check yourself through playtesting to be able to know kind of what is fun, what's too far in one direction. And I would argue both directions. What's too far in the fun direction? What's too far in in the authenticity's direction?
0: Right. And one thing I've found to be just really helpful is to make some things a bit more generic. So like Mm -hmm, you were talking mm -hmm. about with these different uh, spirits and alcohols and whatnot, you have very specific recipes. And if you're going to make a tequila, that's going to have very different ingredients than a whiskey, you know, different things. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. And so for a game, you could find yourself with like a hundred different resources (laughs) because everything is so specific. Right. And Mm -hmm. I ran into this uh, with a farming game I was working on. And so what I, what I ended up doing was saying, okay, Instead of having very specific seeds and different early stages of the plant, it was just generic, generic, right? And now we know in the real world, if you plant an apple seed, you're not going to grow an orange tree. That mm-hmm. uh, doesn't work that way. But in a game, it can. And so everything became generic. It was just seed. And then later on, that seed, you could determine what you wanted it to be. Do you want that to be an apple tree or do you want it to be an orange tree or mm-hmm. a pear tree or something like that? And so making things a bit more generic. So instead of having apple tr- apple seed, orange seed, pear seed, all that stuff, it's just seed. And mm-hmm. now I've taken all these different resources and turned it into one. And yeah. so I think, you know, streamlining things down, making them a bit more generic, people understand that this is a game and they don't, exactly. they didn't sit down to, you know, to figure out the recipe for uh, tequila. You know, that, yeah, that's yeah, not exactly. what this is about. They want that. They'll just Google it and learn the different ingredients. They, 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 they sit down to have some fun. And yeah. so making things a bit more generic, is that something you have also done in maybe yeah, some of your yeah. games and figured out? Tell me. about. Yeah. That. I'd, I'd
2: love to comment on that. So you, you hit it on the head. Um, uh, that idea of, of whittling it down to, to making it much more kind of broad and generic is exactly, I think the route that probably most designers and developers realize they need to go. So I, you know, I had all those agave, it requires agave, it requires juniper berries for gin, requires barley for whiskey. Um, and I decided at a, at a certain moment that no, what I need to do is I need to back up and I need to step back and take a look at this and realize I could make three broad categories. I could make a grains category. I could make a plants, I'm calling it plants, even though plants are grains, plants category and a fruits category. And what I've been able to do now is have sub sub uh, domains there. So tequila uh, requires plants. Um, yes, agave is in the game and agave happens to be a plant, but so so is sugarcane. So it's it's what like you were saying, Gabe, it's this idea of you need to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief um, when you're playing a game. And I think players know that they're sitting down to um, an interesting, unique space that's created for them. And they're ready to accept some of these stretches. So that's one example of what I did. um, And that really streamlined. I also wanted to stick to that idea of authenticity, though. So what I came up with was, yes, you can make, I'll just keep using tequila as an example. Yes, you can make a tequila with any sorts of plants. The the recipe for tequila just says you need two plants in this thing and you need to age it. Um, Those could be any type of plants. But then if you play with the distiller from Mexico, they come with a sign- what I call a signature recipe. It's a recipe only they can make. And on that recipe, it actually does require agave, plus other plants, but you need to have at least one agave in there. So I, I tried to get around that with these kind of unique cases that are more specialized that I'm just calling signature ingredients uh, or signature recipes. And that hopefully will teach people a little bit more. Um, And then the last thing I'd like to comment on that, uh, that you brought up with this idea of kind of genericizing things, which I think is really important to consider, is that allows you by creating a simpler system, that allows that system to be much more flexible down the road. So when I decide to, um, uh, let's just say I decide to come up with an expansion down the road uh, that integrates a different type of ingredient. That could either fall into one of those categories like grain, plant, or fruit, or perhaps an entirely new one without saying, oh, no, this is one specific type of ingredient here. Uh, That system is simpler. Thus, I can actually do more complex things with it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it also comes down to, as far as research goes, it's real easy to learn too much. And the the kind of curse of knowledge, and especially in this situation, like you probably know more about these alcohols now than 99.9% of the people who are ever going to play your game, (laughs) right? And it'd be so easy for you to put in some really cool stuff, like things that you find fascinating and really interesting Mm -hmm. details, and you get so specific and all this stuff that actually gets away from the core mechanism or the core fun factor of the core gameplay mm-hmm. for your specific game. This is something I ran into a couple of years, a few years ago, I was working on a football game and the, the main core of the game was building your team, like going out and finding these players and then going into these head to head matchups with the other players at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of the game was like build the best team, win the championship. But that also had this phase of marketing and like going out into the community and doing different things and building your stadium and getting sponsorships and all that stuff. And it added about an extra 30 to 45 minutes to the game because of this other phase, which is in my mind, really interesting. Like Mm -hmm. if you're an owner of a team, you really have to think about stadium upgrades and making sure the community loves your team and people buy tickets on stuff. That's something you have to do. But for this game, it didn't make sense because it, it wasn't the fun part, right? Yep. The fun part was building your team and, and going head to head against the other players at, at, you know, at the table and like winning the championship. That's the fun part. Yep. And as an owner, that's probably the most fun part too in real life. And so it's like, well, let me just cut this other stuff out because it's not actually enhancing the most fun part of the game. It was just something else that we had to do and something else to think about, something else to put brain power towards that wasn't actually as enjoyable. And so I think that's another thing to think about with your research. Like, don't don't try to inject everything. Like you have to be really yeah. smart. This is where playtesting comes in and just watch the players and like what really gets them going mm-hmm. and what kind of drags them down and making sure you're maximizing the fun stuff and just getting rid of as many of the other parts that are like, oh, this is fine. Or this, you know, I really, I really want to go back and do this part of the game. That's the fun part yeah, of the game. Yeah. Okay, well, how can we spend the most amount of time doing the fun part? Is that something else you've run into just accidentally or, or just, you know, thinking, oh, this is gonna be so cool and it yeah. just turning out to be, yep. oh, let's yeah. cut that out.
2: Yeah, so, uh, so with that, it, the origins of distilled, it was a deck builder. It um, allowed you to craft eh, around two to three spirits over the course of the game. Um, and those were usually big spirits that you'd make. Uh, but I realized very quickly that the thing people enjoyed the most was distilling because that's that whole push your luck element. you want to see what you make. It's so fun to reveal it. And like, Oh no, I, I lost that card. Cause I, I cut it too close. People were really enjoying that. And I thought, I need to, I need to get more of that into the game. How can I do that? Well, how can I do it so that they do that every single round? So I've actually, I redesigned. This was a while ago, but I redesigned the game so that that fun loop that they really love the most, uh, you get to do every single round over the course of seven rounds. So everyone's doing that and getting better and better at it because they're building up their engine or their tableau to mitigate some of that luck if they so choose. Uh, And they're getting more um, rich over the course of the game, too. Uh, So that was one example uh, of of how that worked um, and how I I was able to see what was fun um, and really take advantage of that. And I'll say one other thing to comment on is that um, that I didn't think of until you were talking about um, the football game, because this is a, a perfect example of that. With theme, and I think this is important to note for for those out there that are thinking about how they can integrate themes, especially popular themes or or curious themes or rare themes. Um, what I've found with distilled, and I'm sure you found with your football theme uh, game uh, uh, theme as well, Gabe, is that I'm attracting gamers, but I'm also attracting people that don't play that many games, that, that don't play that many designer or strategy uh, hobby hobby level games. And so what I've also had to navigate is this space that I know I'm going to need to address and deal with when it gets to the Kickstarter space, as well as when it gets into, uh, into the people's hands, is that I need to figure out how this game can both be enjoyed and playable by kind of a more medium weight uh, crowd, which is really where my game lies, uh, but also how can I create an experience that for people that are excited about whiskey, they buy this game, they get at the table. And they get five minutes into it and just put it away and never play it again. So I think that's another challenge with the more you incorporate theme into the game, you need to be careful of the weight of that game, the strategy level of the game. And if it is more kind of towards that medium heavy route, how can you find ways to introduce it? Um, uh, And, you know, um, like Wingspan, I think is a, a perfect example. Roots, another great example of games that have, uh, basically handheld guides, handholding guides, um, that I definitely want to focus on for distilled as well. Cause I think it's one of those games that's probably going to need some of those types
0: of approaches too. Right. It's something to really just think about and you don't necessarily have to do it, but at least just be aware yep. that if you have a theme with the potential to cross over into groups of people that aren't gamers, mm-hmm. quote unquote, that you you might want to consider having a, a lighter version, kind of a you know, play this Play it this way first Mm -hmm. if you're new to games like this or, like you're saying, having a a guide uh, and kind of a way to simplify things and bring people in. Because bird enthusiasts in general, and there (laughs) are a lot of them, goodness (laughs) gracious, there's a place close to where uh, I'm at right now that has this massive bird store. And it's all about birds and birding and bird watching and all this stuff. (laughs) Like, it is unbelievable. I can't imagine how much they're paying in rent because, like, the location of this place. It's in a very high-end neighborhood. And they're making enough money to pay their rent and, yeah. and make some profit because they've been there a long time. Like <laughs> birds are a big deal. And so a game like Wingspan is going to relate to people who have never even seen a hobby game. They've only played Monopoly and Checkers and Scrabble. And all of a sudden they see this game and like, oh, this this really calls out to me. And so for Jamie Stegmaier and Stonemaier Games to put something in there to say, hey, this is for you know folks like you who haven't ever played any kind of game like this before. This is all brand new to you. Here's how you play it. Yeah, it's super smart. Again, getting back to the economics and just understanding the business side of things mm-hmm, uh, is mm-hmm. so, so smart. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, and speaking of, on those, in those terms, let's talk about rule books. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of times I'll see these kinds of games mm-hmm. and they'll have some really interesting little like tidbits or little, you know, fun facts or a little extra knowledge of things in the rule book. They'll have like a little section, you know, games that are about climate change or games that are about birds or whatever. And then they'll, they'll put like little fun, research facts in there so are are you doing that with distilled tell me about your Mm -hmm. thoughts on on having that extra information
2: yeah we most definitely are so as i had mentioned before every single card in the game has a little flavor text at the bottom um, uh, cause I, I really felt that that was important for all the different facets, whether that's equipment that you put in your distillery, people you'd hire, um, different types of spirits. You make bottles, uh, that you buy, um, barrels, ingredients. So, uh, there's lots of that scattered throughout the game. And then just as you said, uh, my vision is to also have quite a lot of that scattered throughout the rule book. Um, and I, th- I think it's for two reasons. One, of course, is just because that's that's one more kind of enhancement or flavor, if you will, um, uh, to add to that rule book um, while people are are learning the game. But the other is that I think it's important to state and help people understand that I am stretching the truth a little bit in certain cases. Uh, I think it's it's important to demonstrate that somehow. So, uh, you know, I haven't written that part yet, but. That's going to be an important part, again, working with my spirits consultant as well and my my rules editor uh, to figure out ways to communicate to the players, look, here's the deal. Yes, you don't make uh, tequila with sugarcane, but we need to have a little bit of gamified uh, experience here so that everybody can have fun. But check out these signature uh, recipes and how that would work. So my hope is that that's going to be one element. Another thing that we're looking at is uh, because there's so many, we're hoping to have so many different recipes that you can make in this game from around the world. We're also hoping to have a little bit of information about those and their background uh, and also suggestions to people about how, which recipes to pair with each other. Um, uh, Because I I do have this vision that who knows if this will actually happen, but I hope that people, um, when they have this game at the table, will invite friends over that might like spirits, uh, and they might choose to say, we're going to offer some of these spirits tonight. We're going to have a tasting literally of these spirits that we're making. And I'm hoping that that's going to, I will see if that actually happens, but that's my dream is to, to hear or see pictures up on Instagram of people enjoying a by while they just made a by Joe as well in the game. Um, so again, connecting that idea of giving a little bit of background about what they're making both through the rules, but also through the cards.
0: Right, and I like the idea of in the rules, or, or like in a little aside, maybe the section at the end of saying, "Hey, this is how the game handles it. This is a glossed over, yeah, much yeah. more <laughs> simplified way. Here's how it actually happens." For more info, go to this website. I think that's really cool. Yeah, but yeah. then going back to your recipe thing, man, talk about a great opportunity for marketing because yeah. now you have something you can turn into a lead magnet mm-hmm. and and turn that into drawing people in. That is really just you know like a PDF or something like that yep. of, of you know drink recipes and. Uh, You know, a lot of of board gamers, honestly, they'll they'll drink various things while they're Mm -hmm. playing games at game night. And so offering them something like that, that's just a a smart again, going back to the business side of things. It's a smart way to bring theme into your your business and your marketing. So I think that's a a really good touch. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I I, I've been spending some time lately, uh, you know, because it's just me. I'm I'm. Uh, yes, I've got an amazing team I've kind of gathered together. But as far as and Games, it's me. Uh, and so I, I'm the I'm the marketing dude, too. And uh, I have been working, uh, luckily, uh, really thankful, actually, thanks to you and talking, talking with him. Uh, I've been working with Next Level Web with Andrew uh, for some marketing for Distilled. But I've also been just doing doing a lot of my own where it's kind of cold emailing distilleries. So I've been sending um, emails to distilleries saying, Hey. I feel like this could be something that could be good in your gift shop or your tasting room. Um, if you're interested, let me know. And I have already heard from a couple of them uh, of some interest in that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that's the case. We'll see if that actually goes anywhere. But again, getting down to that idea, like you said, of figuring out who the audience is communicating this to them, but also helping them understand it's a game. Don't forget. It's a game. I had one distillery already write back to me, kind of rudely actually saying, I see you have 14 plus on your box, no one in their right mind should be having a fourteen plus. That needs to be twenty one plus. So it's that it's a really interesting realm I'm navigating now, um, uh, where you know distilleries. Yes, of course, alcohol uh, uh, age limit in the United States is twenty one. And so, but at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm going to put 21 plus on the board game cover. So again, some, some of those things where people are very connected to one side of that, we were talking about that spectrum of simulation of, of, well, this is alcohol, there must be alcohol in this game. So you better put 21 plus on that cover was a really interesting email that I did not expect. So I'm sure I'm only going to get more of those types of things.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought of that yeah. either, but it makes sense that someone who's not familiar with board games or the gaming industry, that they would write mm-hmm. back and go, why in the world would this say 14? Are yeah, you trying exactly. to get us all thrown in prison? Uh, yeah. this is a poor, I'm not going to sell your thing and, and go to jail. Uh, <laughs> but but back to the bigger concept, I love that idea of saying, okay, who else would this appeal to? And just sending them emails, right? If you have yeah. a game that would really work well in like a museum gift shop yep. Or, yep. or something like that, like, Reach out. The worst they can say is no, or the worst they can do is just not return your email. Like exactly, it's it's the upside is so so huge. If they say, oh yeah, it's a great idea, and we've got twelve locations around the country, and yep. we'd love to get them, you know, in all these locations, and so that's that's super smart. And I think more people should uh, just think about that. How does your theme connect to places other than? amazon.com or coolstuffinc.com where you know that might uh, places that might really enjoy having your game for sale and it's going to bring them maybe some revenue and uh, get your game out there in the hands of more and more people and yeah and just a, one more thing to add on to that that's
2: that i did not even expect and this is something for uh designers out there that are, are thinking about unique themes and niches because i the way i like to talk about it is it's a venn diagram and this Venn diagram on one, one of that circle is board gamers and the other circle is whiskey drinkers. And there is most definitely an overlap uh, in that Venn diagram of the two. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out ways to connect to those people. Uh, and obviously emails, like I said, uh, has been one way, but I've also been really trying hard on my Instagram feed as well as Twitter, but especially Instagram and just social media in general to demonstrate both sides of that. So I'll, I'll do things like, Uh, every week in my Facebook group or not every week, whenever this happens, if it's a national drink day, like it's national whiskey day, it's national gin day, I will do a big post um, and put it out there uh, from distilled happy national whatever day. And those as well as other posts that where I've hashtag certain things like distillery um, have caught the attention of people in that industry. So I'm actually working with I'm talking with Um, I won't mention names because I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do that yet, but I'm talking with um, an individual from a company that supplies equipment to distilleries who's really excited about this game, who wants to have this actually on the demo floor of their convention where they have things about distilleries like where distillery workers come. Um, And then I also have talked with someone that's part of, uh, in Kentucky, that's part of the bourbon industry that also is really excited about this because that person happens to be a board gamer and works for the whiskey, the bourbon industry there. And he sees a vision of connecting this too. So both of those happen by me just... Uh, really pushing that social media platform visually through both the game and the spirits and figuring out ways to overlap those. So that'd be another thing I'd suggest to to listeners uh, and game designers about how you can get that theme out there to find that group that doesn't know about you and won't uh, because they're not in that board game space.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dave, this has been excellent, man. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to leave listeners with as far as theme and research or anything? Uh,
2: no, I think, I think you just... As many others would say, I think that the most important thing is to find those things that you're passionate about, especially if you're just starting out in this space. Uh, Find what you're passionate about and figure out how to combine them. I happen to absolutely love playing board games. And yes, I've designed video games in the past, um, but I fell into that in the same way. I love video games. Um, I happen to love uh, single malt Scotch whiskey uh, and bourbon, and though so I decided, and without even realizing it, wait, these two things could be combined. And what that did was it essentially fuels like an ever burning fire inside me to continue to pursue this as opposed to just, I think I want to develop this game. It's good, but I'm losing steam. I mean, you know, it's, it's been almost two years and I'm going stronger than I ever have on this, on this project. And I really do believe it's because I'm so passionate about not just games, but also the theme as well. So really find that passion, take hold of it and, and, and hold on to it and pursue that.
0: Awesome. Well, Hey, distilled is up on Kickstarter right now we've already talked about it a good bit but give me like the two minute elevator pitch for that
2: yeah yeah so yeah thanks so yeah distilled's on kickstarter right now um it is uh the spirited strategy game it's a medium weight euro style uh game with some push your luck or mitigate your luck elements some resource management some recipe fulfillment and a little bit of tableau building you essentially have inherited a distillery from a long-lost relative and it's your job to bring it back to its former glory by by making spirits from all around the world. You're going to make one every turn. You're going to age it, perhaps. You're going to sell it. And at the end of seven rounds, whoever has the most points from selling those spirits and getting the points uh, is going to be the winner and named the master distiller.
0: Very cool. Well, Dave, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter campaign and everything else you
1: got going on right now.
2: Thank you, Gabe, so much for having me.